Hey, online family, my name is Allie. I'm so glad you're here to join us. Due to copyright issues, we cannot show the full clip, but I will be narrating for you. This takes place at the bridge toll house where the bridge operator asks Clarence how he fell in. And Clarence says, I didn't fall in, I saved George from committing suicide. George is very embarrassed at this point and says, no, I didn't. I did not try to commit suicide. And then Clarence explained that Clarence actually jumped in to get George to save him. And that was how he stopped George. Um, George, again, is just very embarrassed. Um, the bridge house operator asks Clarence where he's from, and Clarence says, I'm from heaven. He looks very confused um, because a guardian angel isn't something you see every day. And George is also very confused and says that something must have been in his drink at the bar that night because this is such a strange interaction. Clarence comments on his bleeding lip, and then George says, well, that's quite an answer to prayer, um, a bleeding lip and a guardian angel. And then George says, how did you know my name anyway? Again, Clarence says, I've been watching you since you were a little boy. Um, I've been your second-class guardian angel. Um, the bridge toll operator is very surprised and shocked by this and decides to leave because this is a very strange interaction. And he says goodbye. George asks Clarence, why did you save me anyway? And Clarence simply comments, it was pretty ridiculous to try and kill yourself for $8,000, don't you think? Um, and then George kind of looks at him wondering, like, is this real? And then he says, you look like about the guardian angel I'd get. Where are your wings anyway? Um, as you can see, he's answering to his embarrassment with a lot of sarcasm and um, humor. And Clarence responds, I don't have my wings. I'm a second-class guardian angel, and I'm trying to get my wings. And then Clarence asks George, will you help me get my wings? George thinks about it for a minute, and then he says, do you think you can get me $8,000? And then they kind of chuckle, and then George says that he'll help him in any way that he can. Good morning, ACF. Can we just celebrate being together today? Oh, man, I am excited. If you haven't figured it out yet, Christmas is one week from today. One week. We got so much planned for you guys this week. I hope you're ready. Uh, Christmas gifts, shopping is done. Look, if, if you're ordered on Amazon Prime, just it's in God's hands now, right? Like, you know, it's been out for delivery for a month. I know. Um, but man, we have so much coming up this week. We are so excited that Christmas is this week. We have two nights of Christmas Eve services for you guys. And I want to invite you all, come to a service and invite your friends. Those names that we just prayed for, invite them. In fact, I loved it. First service, someone came up to me and they're like, I wrote down names of people that are so unchurched. They were the last people I would ever anticipate like coming to a church service, and I just put their names down, and I invited them to church. They've never been to church before. They're coming to Christmas Eve. Like, and so God is at work, you guys, and let me tell you this. 
The gospel will be presented on Christmas Eve. I can promise you that. We are really excited, anticipating God to move in people's lives this week. So this week, don't miss out on the Christmas Eve services. Like Stuart said, we are kind of wrapping up a series called This Wonderful Life. We have been watching clips from It's a Wonderful Life, one of my all-time favorite movies. I love It's a Wonderful Life. I just watched it again last night for the 1,732nd time. It is amazing. I love it. If you haven't seen it, shame on you. But if you haven't seen it, go watch it this week. You won't be disappointed. Don't let the fact it's black and white throw you off. It's an excellent movie. We do say this little disclaimer. Don't get your angelology from It's a Wonderful Life, right? Like every time a bell rings, an angel doesn't get its wings. We all know it's a gong. Okay, so, but that clip we just watched, there's this undertone throughout the whole clip that I don't know if you caught it, and it's this undertone of disappointment, right? George Bailey, he's, he's in trouble, and he throws up this prayer in desperation, and, and you didn't see it in this clip, but right before this clip, he's at the, this bar, and he's like, God, I'm not a praying man, but if you can hear me, oh, I could really use some help. Right? And then the very next scene, he gets punched in the face. And I love it. Clarence is talking to him. He's like, George, your lip's bleeding. He's like, yeah, I got bust in the jaws in answer to prayer. Have you ever felt that way? Like, oh, man, I prayed, and what happened? I got punched in the face. That was the answer to my prayer. And then Clarence is like, no, 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 George, that's not the answer to your prayer. I'm the answer to your prayer. And I love it. Yeah, you look like the kind of angel I'd get. You ever just been in that mode of disappointment? Life is disappointing you. You ever been waiting for something? You ever waited for something that you just wanted so badly, and then maybe Christmas comes, and you get it, and you're like, oh, not what I thought it was going to be. I've shared this story one time before, but my son, Cyrus, when he was like five, six years old, he kept seeing this commercial, like starting in September, he started seeing this commercial, and it was like for these sketcher shoes for kids. And in the commercial, the kids are jumping over their houses with the shoes, and, and as Christmas comes, this is all he wants. I, dad, I just want these shoes. I just want these shoes. I just want these shoes. And my wife and I are like, what are we going to do? If we don't get them for him, he's going to be super disappointed. If we do get them for him, he's going to be super disappointed. And so we're like, I got it. I know what we're going to do. I have a genius idea. We're going to go to the shoe store, and we're just going to try them out, see how they fit. See if you can handle these shoes, Cyrus, because, you know, you don't want to get hurt. And so we go to the shoe store before Christmas, and we find the shoes, we got the box on, and he's putting the shoes on, and he, he literally, he looks up like this, he looks up at me, he's like, you don't think I'm going to hit my head on the ceiling, do you, Dad? And I'm like, I, I think we're going to be okay, Cyrus. And he puts the shoes on, he's like, okay. Are you sure these are the right shoes, Dad? Yeah, son, those are the right shoes. Are you sure you want those for Christmas? I, I guess so. You know, and it was just like, he thought he was going to be jumping over our house. He thought he's just going to be dunking the ball. Like, he's just like, these are going to be the greatest thing ever. And he was so disappointed when he finally got what he wanted. And this week is Christmas. Christmas is one week from today. And we celebrate Christmas as the arrival of the greatest gift ever given to humanity. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about celebrating God's promise. And yet, When Jesus shows up at the scene, there was a group of people, in fact, an entire nation that had been waiting for God to keep his promise. See, the children of Israel had been waiting for thousands of years for God to finally keep his promise. 
And then Jesus shows up. And it's interesting, what had Israel been waiting for? What was Israel waiting for? What was this promise that they were waiting for? You see, it wasn't Jesus. Israel had no concept of Jesus. The people did not, they were not waiting for Jesus. See, we see the other side of the story. What they were waiting for was the Messiah. And this might be a little nuance of a change of understanding for you, but this is really important. I I hope you get this this morning. Israel had not been waiting for Jesus. Israel had been waiting for the Messiah. See, what is the Messiah? What does this word even mean, this thing that they were waiting for? The word Messiah just literally means, in Hebrew, it means chosen one, anointed one. Israel had been waiting for the chosen one, the anointed one. You see, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're not actually about Jesus. They're not. They're about the Messiah coming. Now, Jesus is the Messiah, and we get to see that side of the story, and we get that. But for them, it wasn't about Jesus showing up. It was about the Messiah showing up. And what was the Messiah supposed to do? You see, for for Israel, they were waiting for this promise of Messiah, and the Messiah was the anointed one. And what was he anointed to do? What was he chosen to do? He was chosen to sit on the throne of David. He was going to be this king. And and for the, the children of Israel, the Messiah was going to free them from, like, foreign bondages in their land. And he was going to restore Israel to its glory days. That was the anticipation that they had. That was the expectation of Messiah. Messiah is going to come, he's going to show up, and he's going to get rid of Rome, and he's going to restore Israel to its glory. In fact, uh, in, in Hebrew, the word is Messiah, that means chosen one. But in Greek, which, which the Gospels were written in, they're written in Greek, the, the, cho- the word chosen one is Christos, or Christ. You see, that's the connection of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ isn't his last name, in case you didn't know that. Christ literally means Messiah. It's Jesus Messiah, or Christ the risen Savior, right? It's Messiah the risen Savior. Jesus was the Messiah. Israel had been waiting for this promise, this gift of a Messiah, and then he shows up, and guess what happens? Everyone's disappointed. He shows up, right? He shows up in Bethlehem, and he's born in a manger. Now, I know, I get your nativity scenes. They're very cute and pretty. But have you ever been in a barn? You ever seen a feeding trough before? It's disgusting. There is poop everywhere. Right? This is not this beautiful scene that this king, this Davidic king, who's going to sit on the throne of David, this is not where he's supposed to be born. This is embarrassing. And then he's from where? From Nazareth? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Can anything good come from Nazareth? This is not the Messiah. This is not what we've been waiting for. The people's expectations weren't being met, and so they were disappointed. See, what were they waiting for? What was the anticipation? The anticipation was the promises, like we read in Isaiah chapter 9. Listen to this. This is a very popular Christmas passage. Maybe you've heard it before. But this was the foretelling. This is the promise that was to come, was... What Isaiah prophesies, he says this, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government there will be no end. And uh, the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end, and he will reign on David's 
throne, right? See that piece? This David's throne that he's going to reign on, and he will establish it, and uphold, he'll be upholding it with justice and righteousness and the, and from this time and forevermore, right? And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the promise they're waiting for, right? This great king who's going to come. He's going to sit on the throne of David. He will establish his throne. He will reign forevermore. And then Jesus shows up. And the, the, the people of Israel, they're like, they're disappointed. Right? This is the Messiah? Born in a manger? Coming from Nazareth? Like, Jesus was like constantly disappointing people wherever he went. He was constantly disappointing people. Right? Like, this is who we've been waiting for. This doesn't seem right, right? Like he was constantly doing things like the people he chose to surround himself with, right? The disciples, that, they were a major disappointment. They, they were fishermen. They weren't people uh, uh, who have been studying the law. They weren't people who had been studying the scriptures. They weren't who a rabbi was supposed to choose to follow him. These were like common fishermen who didn't know the scriptures, didn't know the law. Like, why would you pick them, Jesus? Such a disappointment. Right, the people that Jesus chose to hang out with, right, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the Pharisees are literally going, he cannot be the Messiah because he has no idea who he's hanging out with. If he knew what kind of sinners these people were, he would not be eating with them. Right? This Messiah is completely a disappointment. Right? Disappointment in his teachings. Jesus is teaching things and people are disappointed. We talked about it last week, right? The rich young ruler. This guy comes to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I've pretty much done it all. I've been awesome. Right? And Jesus goes, oh, you have been awesome. Just one thing. Just sell everything. And what's that? He left disappointed. Right? He left disappointed. Even the, even the disciples were disappointed at this one. They're like, whoa, Jesus, what do you, why did you let him go? That dude is varsity, like, and he's riach. Right? Like, we got no money, Jesus. He can pay. We don't have to sleep on the ground anymore. He can feed us. Like, why did you let him go? Peter's like, if he can't get into the kingdom of God, who can? Right? Disappointment. Jesus is teaching. He's got thousands of people following him. And what does he teach? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And they're like, that's gross. We're out. We are out. He goes from thousands to like 12. Real fast. Real fast. One sermon. I'm one sermon away from these crowds being empty in here, right? They're like, no, 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 that is weird and gross, and the Messiah would not say that. Such a disappointment. Right? And then what happens at the end? Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and Israel is freaking out. Hosanna, Hosanna, laying palm branches down. Hosanna, he's coming. He, the king is coming into Jerusalem, the holy city. It is beginning. The time is now. Let's go to war. Let's get Rome out of here. And then... He gets arrested. He gets arrested. He, he gets embarrassed. And the governor of Rome is like, hey, it's a tradition over Passover for me to give you a prisoner. And Israel is like, uh, we don't want him. We'll take, we'll take Barabbas. We don't want Jesus. He's been a severe disappointment. He's been a severe disappointment. Jesus was constantly disappointing people on his time here. And maybe he's disappointed you. Maybe he's disappointed you. Maybe he's disappointed you watching online right now. Maybe you're like, yeah, I get that. I understand that. Maybe you don't follow Jesus today because he's disappointed you. 
And the, the truth is, if that's you in this room, if that's you watching online this morning, you are not alone. There are so many people who have been disappointed by Jesus. In fact, in my own life, I'd love to share a story with you guys. When, where I grew up, I grew up in central Washington, and I had a friend of mine, and in fourth grade, my friend uh, got a brain tumor. And I remember her, uh, my friend, her name was Shelly Davis, and, and, and I remember like I was in fifth grade, she was in fourth grade, and, and kind of like not really understanding the gravity of the situation, but like, okay, we got to pray for Shelly, we got to pray for Shelly, and I just remember she spent a whole bunch of time over at Seattle Children's Hospital, and, but th- as the year went on, uh, like her brain tumor went away, and she was healed, and it was like, awesome, God answered my prayer, God answers prayers. Uh, the, the hospital was amazing, and they got rid of her brain tumor. Shelly's good. And, and for years, Shelly had no more brain tumor. And then going into my sophomore year of high school, Shelly's brain tumor came back. And I remember when her brain tumor came back, I, I, I took on this weight of, like, I'm going to pray for her healing, and I'm going to pray for every single day. And I remember praying and thinking, like, God, you say, like, if you have this, the faith the size of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. I have the faith the size of a grapefruit. Like, I believe that you're going to heal her. Like, this is us. She's going to get healed. And I even remember praying this, praying in this way. God, I pray that you would heal Shelly, and I mean her physical body, not like she dies and then she doesn't have a brain tumor anymore. Like, that doesn't count. I want her physically healed. And even then, now I look back and I see it. I didn't recognize it at the time, but even my view of God was so warped. Like, he's some great manipulator. Like, oh, Shelly's going to die, and then I get to say, oh, she's healed because she's in heaven, so I answered your prayer. And I knew, like, no, God, that's not what I mean. I'm going I'm to paint you into a corner here. You're either going to do this thing my way or you're not going to do it at all. But I believe God was going to heal her. And for, like, a year, I pray for every day, and I do not exaggerate when I say every day. Every day I prayed that God would heal her. And then, if you know where the story's going, I remember one late spring morning, my mom came in to my room before school, and she had a cordless phone in her hand. And she says, Josh, I think you need to take this phone call. And on the other side was my youth pastor, and he says, hey, Josh, I, I just need to let you know that Shelly died last night. And... I remember in that moment being so disappointed. Like, God, what are you doing here? I prayed. I, my first actually reaction was, oh, no, did I forget to pray last night? Is this my fault? And then, like, no, no, I did pray last night. No, God just didn't answer my prayer. I'm so disappointed. And then I remember, to make things even worse, for the rest of that day, I had so many adults coming up to me going, hey, it's okay, Shelly's healed now. She's in heaven. No more brain tumor. And just being so angry and confused and disappointed. I'm like, God, my faith was like the size of a grapefruit here. You said a mustard seed. I had more faith than that. And I was so disappointed because Jesus did not meet my expectation. And at the end of the day, I had this expectation that I was going to pray and it was going to turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. And when it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to turn out, I was disappointed. But the reality is, Jesus did not come to this earth to meet our expectations. He didn't. Jesus did not come to meet our expectations. That is not the reason the Messiah came. The promise was not, hey, there's going to be this Messiah, and he's going to come, he's going to meet every expectation you ever had. No, he did not come to meet our expectations. There's this story in the New Testament 
that I think is such a great example of Jesus not meeting our expectations. And it's in John chapter 11. And in this story, Jesus is with his disciples, and he's in this town, and he's doing ministry in this town. He's teaching the kingdom of heaven. And in another town, one of Jesus' really good friends gets really, really sick. Like, really sick where he's about to die. His name is Lazarus. And Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, Jesus, your best friend is sick. He's going to die. We need you to get here now. And so Jesus gets this message. He gets this word that Lazarus is sick. And he gets his disciples. He's like, hey, guys, I just found out Lazarus is really sick. He's, he's probably going to die, so we're not going anywhere. We're going to stay right here. And I'm sure the disciples are like, I don't, wait, what? You can heal him, Jesus. We've seen you heal people before. Why are we not going anywhere? See, but there's this expectation put on Jesus by, his sister, by Lazarus' sisters, right? The expectation is, uh, send word. Jesus is going to drop everything he's doing. He's going to go, hey guys, I know we're in the middle of ministry, but we got a family emergency. I got to go. Maybe we'll be back and everybody will understand. Jesus is going to drop what he's doing. He's going to show up and he's going to heal Lazarus. This is the expectation of Lazarus' sisters, of Mary and Martha. This expectation. And what does Jesus do? He waits and Lazarus dies. He waits and Lazarus dies. And then Jesus is like, okay, now we can go. And I'm sure the disciples are extremely confused. But as Jesus is approaching the house of Mary and Martha, as he's getting close to it, they come running out to him. And if you know the story, what do they say? Jesus, if you had only been here. Jesus, if you had only been here. Have you ever said that before? Jesus, if you would have only heard my prayer. Jesus, if you had only done what I asked you to do, I would not be in this situation right now. I would not be disappointed. I would not have this sorrow, this this grief in my life. If you had only done what I asked you to do. And even Mary and Martha, we see a little bit of a twisted understanding in their understanding of who Jesus is, right? Because Mary's like weeping and she's crying and Jesus is like, don't you know, you're, it's okay, it's okay. You're gonna see Lazarus again. And she's like, I know, I'm gonna see Lazarus again on the day of the, of the resurrection when the dead are raised again. I know, I'll see him then. Like, I know, Shelly's healed. She's in heaven, no more brain tumor. Right, just kind of this like, yeah, okay, Jesus, thanks, but no thanks kind of thing. But, but if you'd only been here, Jesus... If you had only been here. See, what was, what was she saying really in that situation was, Jesus, if you'd only met my expectation. If you'd only met my expectation, I wouldn't be in this situation. Lazarus would be alive if you had met my expectation. But like I said before, Jesus did not come to meet our expectations. He came to give us new ones. He came to give us new ones. You know, I was writing this sermon a little while ago, and, I, and I, was, I was working on it, and I was just kind of praying over it, and I was writing down my points and writing down my notes. And as I'm writing, I'm like, man, Jesus did not come to meet our expectations. And I wrote that down, and I'm working it out, and I'm reading through Scripture. And then I'm like, my next thought was this. Jesus didn't come to meet our expectations. He came to exceed them. And I wrote that down. He came to exceed them. And the truth is, Jesus does far exceed our expectations. He does. We can't even fathom, we can't even expect 
like what we should expect for Jesus to even be able to meet them. Like they're so far greater. But as I'm, as I'm praying over this and I'm thinking this, I'm like, okay, Jesus didn't, doesn't meet our expectation. He exceeds them. I just felt like God speak to my soul in that moment. I'm sitting at my desk. I was all alone in the office building. And I just felt like God spoke to my heart. And this doesn't happen all the time. Don't just think, oh yeah, like past the pastors around here, they just like on this conversation with God, whenever they want, like it wasn't like that. But in this moment, it, I just heard God speak to me and he said, no, I don't come to exceed your expectations. Like exceeding expectations is like, man, how'd you like the movie? Man, I thought it was going to be good, but it was great. Like it was amazing. That's an exceeded expectation. Man, we thought the vacation, we knew it was going to be fun, but wow, we did not expect to have that much fun on vacation. That's not what Jesus came to do. Just to go, oh man, it it was fun, but it was actually better than I expected. And in that moment, I'm sitting at my desk, and I just felt like God say to me, I didn't come to exceed your expectations, Josh. I came to give you new ones. And I'm sitting at my desk, and I literally started weeping. Because I realized I've been having the wrong expectations of Jesus like my entire life. I've been expecting him to do what I want, when I want, how I want it. And that's not what he came to do in a better way. No, he came to completely change and give me a new expectation of who he is and what he is about. He came to give us new expectations. And what, is, what are the new expectations? What is this expectation that Jesus came to give us? And it's an expectation, it's a kingdom expectation. An expectation of the kingdom of God. That's the expectation that we are to carry and we are to have and we do place on Jesus because that's what he came to fulfill. He did come to establish his kingdom here on earth. And that's an expectation that we are to put on him. See, what, what happens if Jesus just met Mary and Martha's expectations? What happens if he just sits there and he shows up and he meets them? He, he stops what he's doing, he shows up to the town and he heals Lazarus and everyone goes on their way. Hey, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for healing our brother. We're not going to be sad now. But that's not what he does. He gives them a new expectation. Listen to this in John chapter 11, verse 41 and 42. Lazarus has died. He's in a tomb and Jesus tells them to roll the stone away from the tomb. And this is what happens. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up. He said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. I said it so they will believe that you sent me. Why did Jesus, if you don't know the story, the next moment, he he calls Lazarus out from the grave. Lazarus, he raises him from the dead. Why did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? Was it to meet an expectation of Mary and Martha that they wouldn't be sad anymore? That that Lazarus' friends wouldn't be sad anymore? That had nothing to do with why he raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead to give them a kingdom expectation. See, when he calls Lazarus out from the dead, I said this so they will know that you sent me. In other words, they will know that I am the Messiah. I did this so that they will know that I am the promise that you gave. I am the answer. This is why I have called Lazarus from the dead. This is the new expectation I'm giving them. I tell you what, Mary and Martha and those who watched had a new kingdom perspective. Oh, the Messiah is here. The promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob has been fulfilled, and his name is Jesus. This is the new kingdom expectation that he gives them. Again, what did they expect? 
What did they expect? Send word, Jesus comes, heals brother. Everyone gets happy, everyone goes on their way, no one gets sad. That's, That's one expectation. But what was the expectation they got? The Messiah is here. Right? The Messiah is here. See, what happens if Jesus just meets their expectations? What happens if he just meets our expectations the way we want him to? How we want it, when we want it, the way we want it. Well, what happens is, is, is we get momentary happiness. Momentary happiness. Lazarus doesn't die. All right, that's great. But guess what? He will eventually die. And if, if you didn't know this, Lazarus does die again. He's still not alive walking around on this earth. He dies. So what happens if Jesus just meets the expectation the way I want it? It's like, yeah, I get momentary happiness. I get what I wanted, when I wanted it, how I wanted it. But that fades away. But when we get a new expectation, a new perspective, a new understanding, when we get that kingdom expectation, what we receive is eternal hope and eternal joy that will last forever, no matter what our circumstances are. That is what a kingdom-minded expectation is. That is what Jesus is trying to give us. So what am I saying? Are you saying, Josh, we, we shouldn't pray and ask God for things that we want, that we're hoping for? We shouldn't pray and ask for healing? We shouldn't pray and ask for God to meet me where I'm at? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, Scripture is very, very clear. Make your requests made known to God. Bring them to him. Bring your needs before God. He delights in that. He wants us to bring our needs to him. But when we do it, we do it with a different expectation. You see, if we have a kingdom-minded expectation, does that mean that we will not be disappointed ever again? Absolutely not. We will continue to be disappointed, even with a kingdom-minded expectation. Why? For this simple reason. For this simple reason. And here's the deal. It doesn't matter who you are in this room. It doesn't matter who you are watching online. If you don't believe that Jesus exists, maybe you're like, man, there is no God. The the, the person of Jesus never actually existed. If that's you, you still feel and understand the same thing that we who do believe in Jesus, who do believe that there's a God who came to this earth to save us of our sins. We're all in the same boat in this. And it's this understanding Things are not the way they should be. We can all agree on that. Things are not the way they should be. And because things are not the way they should be, we will continue to be disappointed. Why are we disappointed? Why are we so shook when people that we love die? Because we know that I mean, death is not the answer. Like, there's just this, this dis, discontentment, this, this dissidence in this idea and understanding like death and life, like, man, no, things are not the way they should be. Things are not the way they should be. People are hurting. People are suffering. It shouldn't be that way. And you're right. It shouldn't be that way. And Jesus says, look, I'm coming to change all of that. There is a time coming where there is no pain. There is no sorrow. There is no tears. Like, all will be restored to the perfection that it was intended to be. And that is the kingdom perspective. And so, yes, we're going to continue to be disappointed. But we do bring our hopes and our requests. We do bring them to God. But we do it in a different way. We do it with a kingdom perspective, not like with a a worldly perspective. Again, a worldly perspective is, God, I want you to do it how I want you to do it, when I want you to do it, and the way I want you to do it. A kingdom perspective says this, God, 
I am told to bring my request to you, so I'm praying for healing. But my prayer is that you would be glorified in this healing. My prayer is that your kingdom would move forward through this. And whether you heal this person or not, you be glorified, God. That is a kingdom perspective. Whether, God, I'm praying for the promotion in this job. And if I get the job, I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that you could use me in this new position to make your name great. But if I don't get the job, God, I pray that you would be glorified. That's a kingdom perspective. And when we have a kingdom perspective, what it saves us from is this. Our disappointment does not have to lead to disbelief. So our disappointment does not have to lead to disbelief. And maybe you've been disappointed before, and you're like, God, I, I, or you're like, Josh, I, I don't disbelieve that God exists anymore, so my disappointment hasn't led to disbelief. But I think it, our disappointment can lead to disbelief in so many other ways. I know for me, when Shelly died, when Shelly died, I started to pray differently. I didn't walk away from God. I didn't walk away from the church. I didn't stop believing that God exists. But I kind of stopped believing that God was good. I stopped believing that he heard me. And I would pray this way, and sometimes I would even say this out loud. I would say, God, I pray for this thing. I know you're sovereign. I know you can, I know you can but I doubt you will. I know you can, but I doubt you will. Because I doubt that you hear me. I doubt that you care about me. Yet you love me because you're God and you have to love me. But you don't really love me. If you did, you would have answered my prayer how I wanted, when I wanted, the way I wanted. And so, but when we pray with a kingdom perspective, our disbelief or our disappointment does not have to lead to disbelief. So how do we deal with disappointment? If we're going to have it, if if it's going to come... We're all going to pray, and things are not going to go the way we want them to. So how do we deal with disappointment? I want to walk through four things real quick as we wrap up on ways to deal with our disappointment. The first one is this. Pray for a kingdom expectation. Pray that God would reveal a true kingdom expectation in our hearts because the reality is we're all human beings, and we're all selfish, and we all want things the way how we want it, when we want it, right? I mean, BK, right, literally built its whole industry on Burger King, for those who don't know, BK. You, BK, come on, guys, stay with me. Burger King, literally built an entire industry on how you want it, when you want it, the way you want it. But that's the way we live. We're human beings. We're always going to be bent towards that. And so to go to, to God and say, God, I pray that you would give me a proper expectation, a kingdom expectation in this situation See, what does a new kingdom-minded expectation look like in our hearts? It looks like understanding that God does keep his promises. He showed us with Jesus that the Messiah came and the Messiah is coming back, right? God keeps his promises. The Messiah has come, uh, that the kingdom of God is here with us right now in this moment, that Jesus is with me, that Jesus still does miracles Right, the scriptures are true when it says that God is working all things, did you hear this? All things out for the good of those who love them. That if, if I have said yes to Jesus and submitted my life to him, then everything going on in my life, God is at work in it. And even if it disappoints me, he's going to work it out for my, for my good. For my good. Like, I believe that. That is a kingdom expectation. Another kingdom expectation is that God's thoughts and his ways are higher than my ways. Like, my thoughts are, like, down here. And this is not even good, because I'm on a stage, you guys are a little sunk down. So my thoughts are down here. 
And the reality is my thoughts are like, let's go down to the kids' area, let's lay on the floor, and this is the height of my thoughts. About as low as they can get. My understanding. And Scripture says that God's understanding is, if you go up into the sky, through the stratosphere, into space, and you go to the farthest edges of space, and you enter into the kingdom of heaven, at that height is the height of God's thoughts and his ways above mine. Right? Like, I do not understand what he's up to, in other words. But I can know and I can trust that they are better, far superior to my ways. They are, they are ways that are going to bring eternal hope and joy and peace into my life. My ways are just about what I want, how I want it, when it the way I want it. Right? That's a kingdom-minded way of thinking. Number two, move from thankfulness to worship. Now, hang with me for just a minute on this one. This one might sound a little weird. We were wrestling this out in our preaching team meetings. Move from thankfulness to worship. Now, are we supposed to be thankful? Yes. Scripture over and over again commands us to be, to be thankful. In all things, do it with thankfulness. In all things. Like, it was the reason Israel kept getting, like, in trouble with God over and over and over again. If you, like, read through the story of Israel, they, like, God got so angry at them so often because they weren't thankful. We are to be thankful people. But it can get really easy to hang out in this, like, place of thankfulness. And what I mean by that is, like, I've even, I used to pray, like, and think, man, I can't wait to be thankful when God answers my prayer. Like, I can't wait to be thankful. And things aren't going my way. Like, oh, okay, well, I got to be thankful. I got to be thankful. I got to be thankful. But listen to this story. This story is really quick. It's, it comes from 2 Samuel. And it's about King David. And King David, uh, his baby was going to die. His infant child was going to die. And David is praying and praying that his child will not die. And he's fasting. He's torn his clothes. He puts ashes on his head. This is how they used to kind of pray to God and intercede. And he's interceding, and then the baby dies. And listen to what happens here in 2 Samuel. It says, But when David saw his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And then he went to the house of the Lord and worshiped. You see, there's this moment where David's prayer does not get answered, and I promise you he is disappointed. And there's no room for thankfulness in this moment in David's heart. Nothing to be thankful for. But what does he do? He arises and he goes and he worships. Why? Because David understood this thing. Thankfulness comes from a place of what God has done. Worship comes from a place of who God is. It comes from a place of who God is. You see, we need to understand that God is worthy to be worshipped and should be worshipped no matter what he's done for us. And he's already done everything he needs to do. But we worship him for who he is. It's why he tells Moses, I am. That is who I am. I am everything, and I am to be worshipped. See, even in a place where I don't feel thankful for the result because I didn't get what I wanted, it's moving to this place of worshiping God for who he is in our lives. And he is God, and he is to be worshipped. And sometimes when we're disappointed, we just need to worship God. We just need to worship God. I remember with Shelly, like, I got into this place where I was so disappointed. And I remember it was years later, years later, 
I was trying to pray and I was wrestling with God and I just like, I was this thing just kept coming up. God, I know you can, but I doubt you will. And, and like, again, I, I heard God just speak to my heart and he said, Josh, if I didn't, never did another thing for you, if I never answered another prayer, am I worthy to be worshiped? And at that moment, I just kind of came to this conclusion, yes, God, you are worthy to be worshiped. And I need to continue to move forward through this disappointment. So move from thankfulness to worship. Number three is walk in community. Walk in community. We all are going to have disappointments in our life. That's the reality. We are all going to have disappointments in our life, but we are not meant to carry them alone. We're not meant to carry the burden of our disappointments all alone, but so often our, just, our reaction is to isolate ourselves when we get disappointed. Our reaction is to close the door and turn out the lights and sit in the room in the darkness and just kind of sulk and suffer in our disappointment. But we are meant to bear one another's burdens. Galatians tells us to bear one another's burdens that we are the body of Christ and we have a job to do. And one of those jobs is to support and carry each other in our disappointments. And we don't have to do it alone, and we're not meant to do it alone. But we are to support each other, but we must come to community. We must come to the community. I know our community so often tries to do our best to go, oh, I see you suffering there, can I come and help? And, and we should do that, but when we're suffering, we have a responsibility to do, responsibility also that is reach out to our community and go, hey guys, you might not know, but I'm suffering right now. I could, I could use you guys helping carry this burden. So walk in community. And number four is this, bring it to Jesus. Bring your disappointment to Jesus. Be honest about your disappointment. Be honest to yourself. Be honest to God. God knows. God knows. What is that moment in your life? Jesus, if you had only been here, Mary and Martha bring their disappointment to Jesus. If you had only been here. There's this moment in the New Testament where John the Baptist, John the Baptist, the guy that baptized Jesus, the one who declared, prepare the way of the Lord. I'm not worthy to unstrap the sandals of his feet. Who baptized Jesus and a dove comes out of nowhere and lands on Jesus and then the clouds break open and we hear God's voice say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. John the Baptist, that guy, he gets arrested and he, he gets put in prison and he has a death sentence. He's going to be executed. And he is like expecting Jesus to get him out. And we know this because he sends his disciples to Jesus. And they show up to Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus, uh, John wants to know, are you the Messiah or are we supposed to wait for somebody else? Like, I know the clouds parted. I know we all heard the voice of God speak, but John kind of has some expectations and you're not meeting them right now. Are, are you the Messiah or is there somebody else? But like, even John the Baptist finds himself in disappointment but he brings it to Jesus. He goes to Jesus with his disappointment. And the truth is, if you're looking for Jesus and you just like can't seem to find him, I would be willing to bet so often he's at work right in the middle of your disappointment. That's where you're going to find him. Right in the middle of your disappointment. At work. Working things out. Start there. Start there and you will find Jesus. Well, every single week, we want to give you guys the opportunity to actually do something with this message. 
Not just go, well, that was really good. Oh, I'm challenged. I, I need to make some changes in my life. But to really take some honest steps forward. So I want to invite you to grab the card that was sitting on your seat. And maybe it's next to you. Maybe it's underneath you. But to grab that card. And right on the bottom, it just says action step. I would challenge you to fill that out. I would challenge you to fill that out. Just give us your name and an email address or, or, or a phone number. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to check one of these boxes, and all that's going to happen is we're going to text you this week and just say, hey, here's the box you checked. We're praying for you. And these are the action steps that you can check. The first one is this. Begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're in the room and you've been disappointed with Jesus and it's kept you away. Your disappointment has led you to disbelief. And you're like, I don't even know if he's real. I don't know if I can follow him. I don't know if he's good. Well, maybe today you're finding out for the first time it's, it's not about your expectations. It's about his and something that he's doing far greater than what we can understand. And you just want to receive Jesus right now, right where you're at, because he's working all things out for the good of those who love him. And you're like, I want to surrender to you, Jesus, and I want you to work things out for the good in my life. Maybe number two is you need to bring your disappointment of blank to God. And, and write that in. What is that blank supposed to be filled. What is your disappointment that's maybe led to some disbelief in your life? Write it out. Bring it to God. Number three is maybe you need to tell someone about your disappointment with God. Maybe you need to have someone help carry your burden this week. And finally, maybe you need to pray for a kingdom expectation. Maybe you're like just kind of tired of wanting to get things in life how you want it, when you want it, the way you want it. And you're going, man, God, help me understand what you're up to and have a kingdom perspective. If you fill those out, you can drop them in the baskets as you leave today. But if you would, go ahead and join me as we close in prayer. Hmm. Jesus, I thank you that you are the promised Messiah, that you have come and you are establishing your kingdom here on earth, still today, now. God, and you are removing those things from our lives those foreign governments that make their way into our hearts and our minds and take over. God, you are at work removing those things and you are establishing your kingdom and it will be great. God, forgive us for being disappointed in you. But Jesus, thank you that your expectations and your ways are so much higher than our ways. God, that you meet us in our disappointments. You don't shun us. You don't cast us aside because we didn't we didn't believe, God, because we didn't have enough faith, God, because we allowed disappointment into our life. No, God, you meet us right in the middle of our disappointments. And for those of us who are disappointed today, God, I pray that you would meet us right here, right now, in this room or online, wherever we're watching. God, give us a new expectation of your kingdom in our lives. Make yourself known. Make yourself great, Jesus. This Christmas season, can we truly celebrate you keeping your promise? The Messiah is here. God, and give us a kingdom understanding of that. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.